Thank you, Jessica. Appreciate that. And thank you, Shane, for leading us in worship and Corky for getting us started in our service this morning. Well, good morning. I think it was probably the coolest night we've had so far this year for all still in the pumpkin. And so I hope everybody's ready because it is that season um, to crank up the stoves, crank up the heating bills and everything else that goes with it. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Uh, before we dive into our passage in Matthew chapter 4, just want to remind you that in two weeks we have an opportunity to participate in our traditional Thanksgiving service. And in light of that, I just want to share a, a few um, scripture verses out of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. So that's what this service is about. It's about it's an opportunity for us to tell of God's works, for us to share among the peoples what the Lord has done in our hearts. And I'm sure all of us are grateful for what God has done, say, over the last few weeks or months or this year. And so this is an opportunity for us to come together and encourage one another with what God is doing in our hearts, his greatness. He's a great God and he deserves to be uh, to be praised. Now, this says sing to the Lord. You don't have to sing your thanksgiving if you're not comfortable with that. You can just speak it. But if you have a song that you'd like to share, that's OK as well. And um, so please see me if you'd like to share a testimony about God's grateful uh, God's goodness for that service in just a few weeks. And. Uh, I would advise you to see me as soon as possible because there are zero people in front of you waiting to give testimony. <clears throat> so I look forward to hearing from you. We are in Matthew chapter four this morning. And we've been in this gospel and Matthew's really teaching us, driving home the message. All the gospel writers kind of have their own message. So there's similarities in them. But Matthew's really is about the king and his kingdom. So that's what we're learning about. And that's what we are. And that's who we're here to worship. We're here to worship the king. We are part of his kingdom. The church has been called an outpost of the very kingdom of God. So we are functioning as an outpost this morning. And in particular, we're, we're watching the king in chapter 4 uh, be tempted by his greatest enemy, Satan. We have looked at this and we've looked at the difference between uh, temptation and testing. The word for temptation is the same word for testing. And what we've learned is that it's, for, it's the circumstances and the motive behind the circumstances. So what happens is the enemy will take a set of circumstances in our life, in our life and he will tempt us. He will, he will try to set us up for failure, to take us down so that we dishonor God. And he tries to use the circumstances in our lives to shift our thinking into walking away from God instead of giving God glory. Whereas... God will take those same set of circumstances, things that we face every day, things that we're facing in our lives even now. And he means them for our good. He wants to test us so that um, so that we will see him clear, so that we will trust him more and that we will have victory over sin, which sin is destructive. Sin eats away at us. So there's two different perspectives there. And we've had a, actually two weeks since that message um, was preached, And so I, I hope that as a people of the kingdom, we're beginning to develop an eye over our circumstances 
And that we're beginning to develop an eye to be able to see perhaps what God, what do you have in this for me? You know, I sense myself wanting to react in this way or respond in this way, which is dishonoring to you. But in this time of hardship or testing, what is it? What good thing? What benefit do you have for me in this? You know, as believers, we we need to develop an eye for those kind of things. Because Satan wants to write our story for us. Satan wants to tell us how to think. Satan wants to, to um, convince us of what's going to happen in the future. And it's not good. It's all negative. It just builds fear and anxiety. So temptation or these testing times, they can be for the worse if we allow it. Or they can be for the better as well. So if this is the case, that... Um, the things that we face, the circumstances we face any given day, in part, depend on how we respond to them. Is there anything that we can do to prepare ourselves to develop an eye for these tests, to develop an eye for what God wants to bring into our lives? Is there a way for us to, say, be proactive, to prepare ourselves for the battles that will surely come our way? If you are a Christian, you have faced battles in your life. When I became a Christian, you know, you, you, have, your, you have hardships as unbelievers. We, we live in the same world. The sun, same sun shines on us all. We experience the same kind of things in this fallen world. But, but my battles when I became a Christian, were, they're just of a different nature. They're of a spiritual nature. And they're, they're, they're more... They're more fierce because now you walk in the truth and the light and you understand the implications of them. So I know that if you are a believer that you are struggling through spiritual battles and that the enemy desires to lead you into a life that dishonors your God and does not glorify him at all. With that in mind, is there something that we can do to be proactive? Is there something that is within our power to prepare for these battles or to prepare for the ministry that God desires us to do in our lives. Now, we know and we'll read this passage, but we know that it was a spirit, the Holy Spirit that actually led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested. So this is a it's a spirit led thing. And we like to think that the Holy Spirit will only lead us into soft, pillowy days and soft, pillowy paths. But this is a a proof that the Spirit also leads us into times that are going to be difficult. Now, they have an incredibly uh, high purpose behind them. But we can expect that being led by the Holy Spirit also includes... Being led into hard, difficult times that will test our hearts so that we will learn to trust in God. So is there something in this passage that we can learn, something in this passage that we can model after Jesus that will enable us to prepare for when we walk out these doors or to better prepare for the battles that we are in the middle of now? So let's read our text and see what we can find out. Of course, you already know the answer because you saw these, um, this title to our sermon. So you already know the answer to that. But let's go ahead and read the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I'm sure he was. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's where I'm going to camp this morning, but I want to go ahead and read the rest of the verses so we can see the whole context. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The king's fasting. So there we have the answer to the question, fasting. There is something we can do to be proactive. Fasting. What immediately comes to your mind when you hear the word fast? It's almost like one of those four-letter words in, in, in the Christian's vocabulary. Don't talk, let's talk about prayer and praise and worship, but don't use that four-letter word, Fast. Because it means self-denial. It means sacrifice. It's hard to talk about the word fast or fasting and be excited and anticipate something good in the same sentence. Have a tough job this morning. Actually, I, I hope that by the end of this sermon that we would be excited about the prospects of fasting. But living in a country where we love our food, we, we almost are obsessed with our food. I love my food, guilty, right here. And it's, it's hard to think about not eating when you're surrounded by lots of restaurants, you're surrounded by cooking shows, uh, you're surrounded by full pantries and refrigerators and so forth. I mean, we are inundated with food and products and, and so forth. So it's just really hard for us to wrap our mind around this with the culture that we live in. Food is very, very important. Who wants to walk around hungry when you can walk to the refrigerator and, and chow down? So it's, it's something that we, we wrestle with. And, you know, after all, hunger pains, are they not God's message to our stomach? Hey, you're in a little bit of danger here. It's time to refuel. So uh, hunger pains are nature's way or the way God created us to let our bodies know for the most part. Uh, now, I, I can have them whether I'm hungry or not, but um, for the most part, they're supposed to let us know. You might think about, is there a meal on the horizon? And of course, for us, there's meals front, back, side, left, right, whatever. But there was a time when you didn't always know where your meal was going to come from. So hunger pains have their place. Should we not obey the beckons, God's call for us to feed our stomachs? Ironically, I actually prepared this sermon last Tuesday. Uh, that was is is my fast day. And so I'm writing the sermon as my stomach is communicating to me 
the, uh, the message that it's time to eat. So through those rumblings, I pressed through. Uh, by the way, our leadership agreed at the beginning of the year to fast one day a week for our church. And um, you're welcome to join us. I happen to fast on the days that we have elders meetings. Used to be Tuesdays. I mean, Thursdays now. It's Tuesdays. I'm not sure about the rest of the guys and their wives, but we would love for you to join us. Uh, we're fasting for direction for the church. Uh, you know, we're, we're fasting for hard times and difficult times. We don't always have the answers to everything. And so we want to hear from God. And that's what we decided to do. It's just let's just fast. Uh, sometimes that's necessary in our Christian lives. We'd love for you to join us if you would like to um, to do that. So fasting is hard or it can be hard for many of us. It's not something that we all look forward to. And I have to tell you that as a result, of, and I kind of I kind of already knew this, but as a result of this sermon, a great reminder that I confess to you that I do not value fasting. I do not value fasting like scripture values fasting. It's very, very convicting. What the way I look at it and the way I think about it versus the way the Bible looks at it and the way the Bible thinks at it. Two different things. And, you know, I'll just as soon avoid it. But to not make fasting a regular part of our Christian lives is to not think Christianly. It's that simple. When we get to Matthew 9, we'll look at this in more detail. But if you ever wanted a, a good, powerful scripture as a reminder of why we should fast. Is it something? Wait a minute. Is it something that is expected of us in Scripture? I thought fasting was just one of those things that every once in a while the pastor or somebody in the church might call a fast or ask you to fast. And it's strictly a voluntary thing. And you just do it if you feel like it. And you don't do it if you don't feel like it. Let me just read this one verse. Won't spend long there. But to give us this, this kingdom perspective. Perspective from the king about fasting and where do we fit in with this idea? Matthew nine fifteen. the Pharisees are always out to get Jesus, always complaining and picking on him and picking, trying to pick him apart, and make him look bad. And they noticed that his followers, his disciples were not fasting and they wanted to know. Right? They demanded an answer. So <clears throat> they said, why aren't your disciples fasting? He answers in this way. Jesus said to them. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Who's the bridegroom? Jesus. He identifies himself as the bridegroom. He was with them. He visited earth. God incarnate. God in the flesh. He's walking with them. He's teaching them. They are with him. They have God in the flesh in their presence. But he says the day will come. So there's, there's no mourning here right now when they have me. But the day will come, I will not be here. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. will come again to judge the living and the dead. But what Jesus said is that while I'm gone as the bridegroom, what are my people going to do? That's when they're going to fast. And we are in that season right now. That's the era of the church. As we wait for the bridegroom to return. The expectation of the king, the anticipation of the king is that we will long for him. We will mourn for him. We will long for his returning, which we do. And as we do, we will fast. 
That's what the church did. Acts 13 too, just as a quick example. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they worshiped, they prayed, we pray. Uh, Sam has called us, our church, to Thursday night, I think the second Thursday of the month, to a time of prayer. Everybody's invited. That's something that Christians do. They also fasted. They fasted for direction. And the Holy Spirit was right there to give an answer, to give an answer to the direction that they were seeking. Lord, if we want to know God's will, that's how they found out. What do you want me to do with my life? That's how in this situation they found out. They worshiped, they prayed, and they fasted. So it became a practice of the church because Jesus, in in essence, says that the church needs this in order to seek him, in order to know how to properly serve him. Um, This is what he has in mind while he is out of the world and only here in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. So there's this tremendous spiritual value to it that I hope that we see this morning, that, that we'll look at it with, that I will look at it in a different light. So with that in mind, I think it should really grab our attention that Jesus began his ministry with a 40 day fast. Before he did anything else, before he ventured out into the lost, hungry souls and began with the platitudes and the beatitudes, before he did that, before he faced his greatest enemy, he began or launched his time of ministry with a 40 day fast. That's how he prepared for these things. So a good question to ask before going any farther in light of this. Is, is can I am I prepared to face the battles that I know are there for me that I know are waiting for me? Am I prepared to face or serve in the ministry that I know God has for me and, and is waiting for me as well? Properly and effectively without preparing in some form of fasting, can I expect that I'm really ready? That I'm really prepared. Can I serve in the capacity that God would have me? Without following this example of Christ. Is is there a a blessing that awaits me? Is there a victory that awaits me? Uh, Is there growth that awaits me in a certain area of life? Um, Can I expect that if I am negligent in this area? Is there a glory to be... To be beheld as a result of preparing in this way. Giving myself to God in this way. Uh, you all have heard, I'm sure, of Charles Spurgeon. He was quoted this morning in Sunday school. A reformed London pastor, the Baptist Tabernacle, uh, well over a century ago. He said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the Tabernacle has Been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been near the central glory. That's how he described their times of prayer and their times of fasting. Never had the gates been wider or 
the glory near. John Piper says, my heart longs for us as a church to be near the central glory, to be so near the fire that we burn with the zeal of Jesus for his name and for this perishing world. What does God have in this passage for us this morning? We want to keep in mind, too, before going any farther, that you know the context. Jesus was baptized. And during this time of fulfilling righteousness, the heavens opened and the voice from God the Father came. That This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He said that about his son before he fought the battle, before he ventured into ministry. God is well pleased. So he ventures. It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It, he means it for his good. He is led by the spirit in love and in affirmation. This is my boy. This is my son. This is the king. This is he who I have sent into the world. So he is led in love and affirmation into this time of wilderness. And he is led by the same spirit into this 40 day fast. 40 day fast. Some of you may be wondering. Am I getting set up right about now? Is a pastor setting me up for a 40? Is he going to call a 40 day fast? No, I'm not going to call a 40 day fast. You crazy? That's something I do not take lightly. Uh, if I, if, if, you know, if we, we sense the spirit was leading in that, if I sense the spirit was leading in that, absolutely. But I think that's something that really needs to be spirit led. That's a big deal. But um, besides, I'm on my 40 day fast. One day a week, 40 weeks, 40 day fast, 40 day fast. So there's different ways you can look at that. Now I lost my place. <laughs> Under the Spirit's leading, fasting was the course of action to bring victory in this time of test. So, yeah, it can be unnatural sometimes, feeling difficult, but done properly. Under the Spirit's leading, it just opens the gates wide to tremendous potential and possibility. Sometimes it's the difference between accomplishing something that we could not accomplish before. Sometimes it's the difference between staying here or going even deeper. And the fasting here, for the most part, and I know it, it all intermingles, but fasting was the preparatory work. When, when Jesus is actually tempted by the enemy, he uses God's word, the truth, the sword of spirit to fight it off. So this is somewhat of a preparatory work. In order to really understand this, I want to look a little deeper at the big picture um, of what Jesus has in mind and what's taking place here. I read three temptations. Three times the enemy came to him in three different kinds of temptations. Three times uh, Jesus responded with, it is written. And all three times he quotes from the same chapter. They're not just random verses out of the Bible. So there's something going on here. And it's out of Deuteronomy 8. And he's actually quoting Moses' words. And the context of this that he is um, fighting the enemy with is when Israel had, God had delivered them from Egypt. And they are in what? The wilderness. So the, the period that he quotes out of Deuteronomy, it, there are parallels 
Because Israel is in the wilderness and they are undergoing what? And I'll read it in just a little bit. They're undergoing a time of testing. And how are they doing that? Through hunger. God takes them into the wilderness through a time of testing by the means of hunger. So they have their own battle here. And so there's, there are parallels in here to what um, Jesus is also doing because Jesus is in the wilderness as well. So our passage in, in 4.2 talks about the temptation. If you're the son of God, command the stones to turn to bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. Here's what he's quoting in Deuteronomy 8, 8, 2 through 3. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So both are in the wilderness. They were both led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Israel was tested 40 years because they kept failing. But Jesus his his time of testing was 40 days. They were both tested by God and it was to see what was in their hearts. Are you going to be loyal? Uh, how do you, what do you think about me? Where is your heart in relation to me? Of course, Jesus passes this test. He is absolutely his will is absolutely submitted to the will of the father. Israel, not so much, but both were made hungry. Why the wilderness test? That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. Tests by God to teach us that there's more to life than bread. Yeah, it is a meal and there are meal times, but that's not what our lives are all about. Our lives, we should be even more hungry for the words that come out of the mouth of God, the mouth of God, the truth of God. What do all these similarities mean? I like what John Piper says about this. He says it means that God is now preparing to deliver his people, the new Israel, from the Egyptian bondage of sin into the promised land of forgiveness and righteousness and peace and joy and eternal life. To do this, he has sent a new Joshua. Joshua and Jesus is the same word. Um, this new Joshua stands as the head and representative of the whole people. On their behalf, he will now be led by God into the wilderness. It will be 40 days to represent 40 years. He will be tested as Israel was tested. And he will hunger as Israel hungered. And if he triumphs, he and all his people go safely into the promised land. So there's there's something huge behind this battle. And the words that Jesus uses to fight off. The enemy here. It's another battle in the wilderness. So it comes together in that way. Jesus chooses to fast to identify with mankind. Uh, he, he chooses to go hunger, hungry to identify with real true hunger pains that we humans suffer with. And in order to lead man out of the wilderness, he becomes man. And he goes through these tests. And his heart is probed by the father. Pertaining its loyalty, its trust and its allegiance. And the idea is that he prevails if he prevails as a representative, humanity prevails. 
Humanity is set free. Humanity, or at least his disciples, those that trust in his name, are victorious over the devil and brought into the promised land. We talked a little bit about that this morning. We're, we're in the battle and we're fighting and it's real. And we really get hurt and bruised. But we've already won. Because Christ won for us. So that's a different mindset of thinking as we fight there. So fasting is a way of battling the enemy. Fasting's a way of battling our enemy, Satan. And these kind of tests are a way to find out what is in our hearts. They're there on purpose to be led by the Spirit will mean to be led into these kind of testing times and these battlegrounds to see what's in our heart. Does my heart love God or bread? Which one wins out? What, what am I really about? What am I really hungry for? What am I really after? What am I looking for? What am I trusting in for my joy and my satisfaction? You can imagine that when, our, when we get to this point where we want, more, we want God more than anything, that doesn't give Satan much of a stronghold to, to play with, does it? See, Jesus is righteous. So there's no place for Satan to grab him. There's no weakness on him. He can't shake him up in that way. But when we have weaknesses and areas that are not sold out to God, well, Satan is going to go after those areas because he knows he can. Does God ever ask us <clears throat> to go without as believers? Are there ever seasons in our life, seasons when we receive blessing beyonds that we ever even thought would come? I mean, just things come in. Material things, spiritual things, blessing after blessing. But are, are there times when God withholds? And that which was once there is no longer there. Where we actually go without. He will test us in this way. He will withhold things so that we can see the condition of our hearts. You know, that this idea of going without, even though it's totally countercultural in our materialistic world. This idea of going without is also a kingdom term. The idea of self-denial or being deprived of something. What do our hearts go after when we have to go out, go without something that we're very used to having? What's the response of our hearts? <clears throat> Going without. So what do we do? What's the response of our heart where... We, we had money, we had a nest egg, we had a job or whatever. But all of a sudden in this little season, the Lord is asking us to go without money and trust in him. How do we react? Do we panic? Do we get grumpy? What comes out of our hearts? Total insecurity? Or, or when we have to go without health, we've enjoyed health our, our whole lives. And then all of a sudden it's taken from us in a certain kind of way. We've never experienced that. And God asks us to go without. In that area. How do our hearts respond to that? These are hard things. Or to go without uh, a different abilities or uh, physical appearance. Sometimes we lose those kind of things. What if God asks us to go without? The things that we found so much security in and we took for granted. 
How about the sharpness of our mind? A comment was made this morning about old age and the sharpness of the mind not being there, not being able to remember things and sitting in the back thinking, so that's what's going on with this. What what about the things that have always been there and they're not there? What how do we react? What do we do? What is because how we react shows us what we're trusting and it shows us what's in our heart. And the Holy Spirit is saying, you need this sometimes. You need to know what's in your heart. You need to know where you really stand. If we don't know where we really stand, how can we possibly fight this enemy? That is a greater foe. There are things we have to be certain about. He is the master of doubt. We'll look at that next week. The master of doubt. There are things we have to know. There, there, there are our, our hearts have to be standing on something in order to successfully find victory. The psalmist in Psalm 69, this is David. <clears throat> David was going through a terrible time. He, the people were saying, you can't do anything right. He was under a reproach. They were criticizing everything he did. And here his, is his response. For zeal for your house has consumed me. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. In verse 10, Psalm 69. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. His response to the difficult time, everybody turning against him, was to humble himself and fast. So that he could see what was in his heart. He didn't want pride to be there. He didn't want to respond with pride. So he humbles himself. He goes without. So the Lord will walk him through. There's times where we... God will cause us to go without, and sometimes we need to voluntarily do that. So we know. How does our heart respond? You know, there's, there's pride. Is there pride in it? Sometimes if we go out with, without a bitterness pops up, anger, strife, fear, anxiety. Those are things the, the king does not want his people living like that. And so the spirit kindly leads us in love. To these testing times and times of going without so that we can live in the freedom of joy and trust and not live in the bondage to those things. Fasting sometimes will serve to show us what's in our hearts and Israel in the desert 40 years. Boy, what was in their heart? They whined. And they murmured and they complained. They were ungrateful. All they wanted was their bread. Okay, you brought me out here, but give me my bread. I want my bread. That's all that their life was about. So where did that get them? Another lap, another lap, another lap. It got them nowhere. That generation died. They refused to give their hearts to God. They refused to long for that which comes from his mouth and trust that he is their sustenance, not the bread that they're craving for. So we have to know because good question to ask based on what is in our hearts right now. How far can we go with God? Based on what's in our thoughts, you're thinking about fasting, you're, you're, you're looking at Jesus' example, you're thinking about God's word. Hopefully you're wrestling with the Holy Spirit right now. Based on where we are right now, what can we expect? How far can we go with God? Are we going anywhere? And is it because there's an area of our heart 
We're just taking this lap. We haven't submitted to God. And God wants to free us from that. Can you imagine if he's going to take these people, his new possession, he's going to turn into a nation. And every time they face some kind of hardship, and here they are supposed to reflect him and represent him, but every time they don't get their their way or, or face some kind of hardship, they're just going to stop and whine and complain? What kind of life is that? And our good, good God wants to, good, good Father, wants to free us from these things that we have a tendency to hold on to. Another way to, uh, to look at this in Matthew 6 is Jesus wants to free us from clinging to these things that have such a short shelf life. That's what he says in Matthew 6 in the Beatitudes. Don't lay up, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The, 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 the things, the, the elements of this earth can't tear them away. Is it, is it smart, is it wise for us to cling to the things that have such a short shelf life? Or cling to that which is eternal. So the, the kingdom message is to followers, you'll be careful. What, is your, what are your teeth set into? What's your heart set into? What are you depending on? Where's your joy? Because a lot of times we have a tendency to think we'll go after something material and we get it. And we think, ah, oh, I'm set for life. I am set for life now that I have this. And you look down and it's, some, it's gone. Short shelf life. Our, our poor idolatrous hearts want to cling to these things. And so really we need to be constantly washed with the truth of God and the word of God. Bread. We need it. Give us this day our daily bread. We need it. But it has its place, and its place is not the place of God. Of course, the bread represents any material thing, any worldly thing. But what do we need? We need, we need you, O oh God. We want to hear from you. What is the word of God? It's the revelation. So when we have this, we are, God is revealing himself to us. If you want to know God more, read more of his revelation. Meditate on more of his revelation. Learning to trust in God. You know, a mere word, no matter bread in front of us or not, a mere word of God can change our situation just like that. And that's what God wants us to hang on. His word, his power, living by him. So in order to battle, in order to go deeper, we need to be set free from these things. And fasting plays a part in that. One of the uh, opening verses for this year as we wind down was Psalm 73, 26. Though my heart, <clears throat> though my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's another way of answering the question, is God my portion? Is he the one I ultimately look for? These things are fine when God provides, but is God my portion? So when Satan invites us to turn from God's path, when Satan makes us aware of all the things we don't have, what can we do? Well, be gone, Satan. It is written. We could say, be gone, Satan. 
I have everything I need. You're a counterfeit. God is my portion. And, and, and the, the path that you're leading me down is just a counterfeit of the real thing. I will not attain the joy. I have a better version of what you're trying to entice me to have. My pain, if it is pain, it has a bigger purpose. And God will fill it with heavenly substance. So, so think about. Think about letting the, the bridegroom prove our hearts. Test our hearts. Think about preparing for the battles that are surely to come. Even being proactive in these things. Do you know if there's, a, there's a, uh, something that you dread that there's an appointment on the calendar and you're kind of dreading it? Be proactive. Fast. Pray. Be prepared for it before it ever comes. Fasting is the church militant. So think about your fasting and your prayers for this church. Think about heaven's gates opening wider. And just drawing near to the central glory of God. Hopefully you have, we have a different perspective on fasting this morning. May God bless the preaching of his word.